The biggest problem I see, especially in sales, is lack of utilization of a pre-existing mm -hmm. process, if there is one, which most right. of the time there isn't, and ensuring that the people consistently use that. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to Building Great Sales Teams. I got a special, special guest for us today. We've got Mark Raffin. He's the founder and CEO of Negotiations Ninja, a world-class negotiation training tailored to your needs. He's also a world-renowned expert in persuasion negotiation and B2B content marketing. He a, a, does corporate coaching. He won a corporate coaching and recruitment award for best negotiation training specialist in 2020. And he's also the host of Negotiation Ninja podcast, as well as Content Callout. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. I love your intro, man. <laughs> I was taking notes of all your video stuff as it was coming in. I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, we're getting a lot of compliments on that. Uh, Ryan yeah. put the, the video together, and we had another company put the uh, animation together, and we're getting a lot of compliments on it. So No, it's really slick, man. Appreciate it. So you didn't just wake up and decide one day, I'm a negotiation expert. I know there's coaches out there that do that, you know what I'm saying? But you've actually got real world experience here. Where did that come from? Yeah, I've spent a career in sales and procurement. So I've played both sides of the table. All of my experience is focused on commercial negotiations. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to come to me and you said, hey, Mark, I want you to help me out with my divorce, I'm not your guy. <laughs> I'm specifically focused on commercial negotiations um, and have worked in a bunch of different industries, everything from high tech to potash mining. So a, a wide variety of backgrounds. And it basically started um, coming out of a, a procurement role where I was leading category management for a certain category and then decided this corporate thing might not be for me. And mm -hmm. decided then to take that and turn that into a podcast. The podcast turned into a training company. The training company is where we are today. And it's sort of transformed into one of the most viewable and brandable negotiation experiences that folks tend to enjoy. So uh, really, really enjoying the process and really, mm -hmm. really enjoying training folks. And happy to be here with you today. Awesome. We're happy to have you. And I love the natural evolution of what you put together here because, you know, I went through something very similar. You know, I operated sales orgs for our a sales org for 13 years and uh, I joined a network and they kept asking me questions over and over again. How do I build a sales team? So I'm like, you know what? I should do a podcast on this and they could just listen to the podcast kind yeah. of like spread the knowledge here. And then the podcast turned into consulting and then the, the consulting eventually turned into a full time business. So now I'm a full time consultant and we we build sales teams right so <laughs> i love the same background i mean essentially it's the same thing yeah fantastic so when did, when did you have that moment where you realized hey i'm an expert in this and i could scale a business behind it Ooh, I, I i i think it's great that other people have labeled us experts because it's wonderful for branding and i really appreciate it and it's it's mm -hmm. great for us to be able to get out there and we've done some amazing things but I'm very careful not to think of myself that way because 
there is still so much that I still have to learn. Yes, I know more than many, many people. Okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. And that helps me to be able to train folks. But if I get myself into a situation where I think of myself as an expert, I lose what I think is really important in any kind of training, specifically when it comes to negotiations and sales, which is a beginner's mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and I really value that beginner's mindset. So I try as hard as I can to always basically think to myself, you know what, you've still got lots to learn. There's still a bunch of people that you need to speak to. There's still tons you need to read. There's still tons you need to apply. And that's what keeps us innovating in our business as well, helps us to add new content, helps us to add new ways of approaching things because the markets and the geographies and the cultures mm -hmm. are different. And if we come into it thinking that we know everything, then it's not only us that loses out, it's our customers that lose out as well. So I, I do appreciate that that folks think of us as experts, but I really try and think of us as like, well, we're still we're still learning. We're still applying. Yeah. And I love that mentality because, you know, like you said, you don't put that wall up and stop learning right away. You know, I experienced the same thing in my business. It's like I'm I'm probably like a two out of ten in terms of consultants or general business consultants. And so because I have that eight, you know, rungs in the ladder to go, I'm always listening, learning, taking notes and trying to apply what I've learned that day. And, it, and it's crazy. You can learn so much that is in a different vertical and apply it to your business right? In, a, in an amazing way. And it makes you a lot more dynamic that way. So I couldn't agree more with that. Do you, do you find in your line of work that even though they've just hired you and, and you're coming in and, you know, let's just say you're, I would imagine that you're modifying maybe some of the sales structure and some sales scripts or um, the way that they normally do things. Yes, right? sig significantly modifying. Uh, of the vast majority of the training that we do is building structure into the negotiation process mm -hmm. for a lot of people because a lot of people view negotiation as reactionary instead of having a well-developed strategy prior to going into the negotiation. And so what ends up happening is when we get into a negotiation and the counterparty, whoever we're negotiating with, says something or asks for something or makes a demand or wants to go in a certain direction, we are oftentimes reacting to that instead of thinking about all of that prior to going in and all of the moves that could be made and what we might do to be able to build and extract value from that negotiation. And so a lot of the things that we do focus on strategy. And then the other stuff that we do towards the end of our training is all behavior-based. Because a lot of people are afraid of negotiating because there's a lot of fear around asking for more. There's a lot of fear around saying the things that you want to the counterparty because there's this fear of rejection or this fear of ridicule or the fear right. that we're going to lose the account. And most of the time, that fear is unfounded. And so training people to overcome that fear is a big part of what we do. No, I love that. And and the more that you equip, equip them with a roadmap for it, the less fearful they're going to be. They're just going to know, hey, this is the process. I just follow the process. Yes. And if it doesn't work out, then that's how it's supposed to happen. Right. Yeah. Look, can't put my... The reality is some deals just don't work. Right. Right. And that's OK. But as long as you've planned for ahead of time. Right. Don't if I could deviate just a little bit, a lot mm -hmm. of people go into negotiations without knowing what it is they want to achieve. 
and therefore they have to react because they don't know what they want to achieve in the first place. And if we don't know what it is we want to achieve, there is nothing to benchmark success against Mm because we're never going to know from the counterparty how well we did. They're never going to tell us in the negotiate after the negotiations done. Right. Right. Like a good negotiator from the counterparty will say, well, you did a good job to try and make you feel good about it. So you leave the negotiation going well, but you're never going to really know unless you've pre-planned what it is you actually want to get out of it and what you want to achieve. And Mm -hmm. so my messaging to most people is first know what it is you want. Do you want to make more money? Do you want to sell into a new product line? Do you want to cross sell, Mm -hmm. upsell? Do you want to build in more profitability? Do you want to get more referrals? Like what are the things that you're actually building into the negotiation and what are you asking for and if you're not hitting those things it's probably because you didn't even think about it before you went in so that 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 brings to mind how important it is to have this a sales process and script in place and in the first place right because how do you go into a company and create this company-wide change without kind of a system to work off of first and then inserting your negotiation tactics into that system, right? And then the second piece of it is, you know, how many companies do you go into that don't even have the script and the sales process in place, but then also don't have metrics to measure their performance after the fact, you know what I mean? The customers they're bringing in, how well they're performing within their uh, product line or I guess monthly recurring revenue. There's so many metrics that could be gauged there, churn, uh, cancel rate, all that kind of stuff. I've I've kind of I've kind of found it ast- astounding how many companies I've gone into they don't have the script, the sales process, or the metrics to measure all those things in place. You know, and you're working in B two B more often, so so do you see that happening in in with your clients too? Most companies that I work with don't have a process, mm-hmm. and even the ones that do don't use it, and that's. I think the biggest problem that I see, if they if they have a process and they don't use it, what ends up happening is that by not utilizing the pre-existing process, which actually might be really good because it was mm-hmm. probably implemented by someone like you, like me, who went in there to make sure that that company was successful. Right. What they're doing is inherently by ignoring the process, they're training their salespeople to shoot from the hip yeah and when that happens that's that's why people aren't successful in closing deals because they're not utilizing the process that may already exist and then unfortunately people like you and people like me get called in to say hey resurrect us right get this get this <laughs> yeah. process fixed get this thing fixed and then you walk in there and you realize hang on three years ago someone else was in here showed you a process but you're yeah. using it and by the way it's actually not that bad mm-hmm. all you got to do is fix these things to be able to ensure that you're doing it the biggest problem i see especially in sales is lack of utilization of a pre-existing mm-hmm. process if there is one which most right. of the time there isn't and ensuring that the people consistently use that. So yes, they utilize it, but how consistently are they utilizing it and measuring that success rate to be able to determine where in the process they are losing those deals. A hundred percent. Yeah. The, the, the measurement is so huge too, because, you know, I have owners of companies that complain that their salespeople aren't performing to whatever metrics. And I'm like, okay, are those metrics in front of them every day? Are they seeing them? Are they seeing their name next to their metrics every day? And then they can make adjustments based on that. 
or they can lean into the process based on that. Or we can say, hey, that this point in the process is creating this churn on the back end. You know what I'm saying? So we need to fix that that conversion point in the process, you know. And it becomes incredibly analytical at that point, but you can't be analytical about it if you don't have the process in place at all, right? Totally. And and also don't hold your reps accountable to more than two or three of those metrics. A hundred percent more than that is way more than people need to be able to be successful and it's probably mm -hmm. overcomplicating things so that your reps actually don't know what they're being held accountable to for example in my business our bdrs are only responsible for one hitting one metric and that's meetings booked that's it right like we have a process built for that follow the process you're going to get your meetings booked you're going to mm -hmm. be held accountable for those meeting books aes are responsible for something else but that is the primary thing when you overcomplicate it for those metrics it becomes really challenging to manage so so does that mean you're a big fan of like a setter closer model it works very well in my business absolutely yeah, yeah it I think it's dependent on the industry that you go into. Mm -hmm. I think more technical businesses, especially in construction trades, um, large industrial companies, mining, things like that, full service AEs from beginning to close makes more sense. Right. But for things like SaaS, training, those types of things, consulting mm -hmm. even, yeah. I think setter closer model works really well. No, I couldn't agree more. You know, when we look at scaling, we're bringing on our first uh, consultant this week. When we look at scaling long term, that's definitely something that we're going to utilize. But it's like I'm booked out right now. And as soon as he gets hired, he's going to be booked out. So it's like what we're doing right now is working well enough within our networks that we don't need a sales process. But of course, this is what I do. So I'm already building it out. Right. <laughs> but I yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's going to be uh, definitely a setter closer type model for sure. Totally. So how can salespeople use negotiation skills despite having a fixed price and fixed services for their product? So the price doesn't move. There is no, no way to move that. This is more maybe in the home service industry. Um, the price doesn't move and pretty much their service is what it is. If, if they do change their services, it's because they're improving based on customer feedback. It's not necessarily in the moment where the sale is happening. Yeah, and so what I would ask is maybe a, a couple of qualifying questions. Mm -hmm. Can the price move? Right. Meaning, does it have to be, is it put on the website so that it is immovable? Okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Or can we ask for more based on the services that we're offering? If if we're saying the price doesn't necessarily move, right. um, I would say build in an additional margin, depending okay. on what your close ratio is. For mm -hmm. example, if you're, hitting 65 to 75% close ratio, that mm -hmm. tells me that you probably need to increase your prices mm -hmm. because you're not getting enough people saying no, right? And right. we want to be able to do more, do less work for more money, in my opinion, in the vast majority of businesses that I work with. So I would argue that we probably want to increase our prices in those kinds of circumstances, depending on the business that we're going into. But let's okay. just say for the sake of argument that the price is immovable. We cannot change it. It's set by upper management and there's nothing that we can do there. Then we can start negotiating what's included for those prices. Okay. So if someone says, well, I want to pay less, then the conversation is fine. 
but then we have to remove things from the service that I'm providing you so that you can pay less. Okay. And then we get into a value-based conversation, generally speaking, when we have that conversation. If it's set services to set pricing on a set price list, mm -hmm. then I would ask that whoever you're arming with, with that knowledge, mm -hmm. you give them more room to move in that conversation because that's a really difficult position that you're putting your negotiators, your salespeople, whomever it might be, into. Right. There's nothing, there's nothing else that they can do there except for add on additional services. Okay. Let me ask you this. If, if my issue is introduction, you know, the introduction goes well, I start qualifying the customer, but I'm having an issue getting to the presentation. They're cutting me off before I'm getting there. How can I use negotiation tactics to keep the conversation going? Understand why it is they're cutting you off. Okay. I think this is where like a lot, if, if especially if you want to, the speed to close is oftentimes the most detrimental thing that we can use to okay. get to close. Slow down. I know it sounds counterintuitive, mm -hmm. but the more that we slow down through the qualifying and the conversation, the easier it's going to be and the faster it's going to be to get to close. If the person is cutting you off, there is a reason they are cutting you off. So let me, let me give you a for instance. If I'm having a conversation with you and I'm trying to sell you something, whatever it is, let's say it's plumbing services mm -hmm. or let's say it's any kind of home trade business right. framing. And you're saying to me, um, Mark, I, you know what, this is great and all, but I really, this doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm going to stop there and I'm going to say, hey, Doug, look, I can see that you've been listening to me all this mm -hmm. time, but there's something that you're listening for that I haven't hit yet. What is it that you were listening for that I haven't hit? Now that qualifying question is basically a pattern interrupt. It's stopping you from cutting me off. And now you actually have to think about what I missed. Because if you're cutting me off, I've missed something. Right. So now you're gonna, you're obviously gonna say, well, actually I was hoping you would tell me more about this, or actually this is great, but I was looking for that. Okay, now we've got a problem that we can solve together. Yeah. But if I consistently try and mow you over right. by trying to come back to the presentation all the time, mm -hmm. it's gonna really damage any kind of deal that could be done in the first place. Now that's a serious alignment too, because that's 100% what I teach is taking your time on the qualify so that you don't have to close. By the time you get to the presentation, you're hitting those dominant buying motives that they gave you in the qualify. And, the, and you know, they didn't give them to you. You asked questions that brought them out, right? right? But 100%, if they're rushing you through the qualify, then I would definitely stop or slow down the conversation by asking that question. You know, what, what haven't you heard yet that you want to hear, basically? Yeah. You know. And by the way, that's that's a specific line that Mark Golston teaches. He wrote this fantastic book called Just Listen. Okay. And his his tone of voice counts here. So I'm I'm gonna repeat what he says and, and hopefully this helps a lot of people. Okay. When people are tuning you out or they're trying to cut you off, they're trying to end the conversation, that's when you pause and you'd say, Doug, and this is really slow, Doug, I can see that you've been listening to me but you've been listening for something and I know that I haven't hit it based on how I'm getting a response from you. So what is it that you were listening for that I haven't yet hit? 
That is the key right there. Because now with that open-ended question, the ball's back in their court. That's where they have to do it. If I if I say it in a closed way, did I do that right? Did I say that right? Did I hit what you want? It's the yes answer no. is going to be yes or no. Right. And that's the end of the conversation. So 50-50 coins, mm-hmm. coins <laughs> toss, right? Yeah. But now that I've asked you, what is it that you were listening for? You might say, well, I was listening for a better price, right? Like, because my budget's super tight. Right. Okay, now we've got a price objection. Now we can have that conversation. No, I love it. And it makes a ton of sense. Uh, I've been I've been getting exposed to NLP techniques a lot lately. And that, that sounds like an NLP technique, the way that the tonality, the, so, yeah. the, the cadence of when you're saying the words, you know what I mean? And then the um, positioning of the question itself. And so I think that's, you know, definitely something that as sales evolves, you know, people are realizing more and more. The, the the first thing we realized, I would say, maybe about ten years ago, is all right. We can't we can't mow people over anymore. We've got to we've got smarter consumers. They have access to the internet. You know what I mean? They they have access to research uh, competitors and everything. So yeah, we've got to have our a more competitors pricing is online, right? right? And so we've we have to have a more education based sales. That's you know, right. edu- ed- education based sale. And then as we evolve, we realize, hey we got to bring feelings into the, into this. We've got to make sure that we're taking them on this basically impulse curve, you know, especially in like my businesses have all been impulse sales. This isn't the, you know, one week later follow up type sale. It's, you know, I've just inter- got you interested in the product and I've got to close you on the product before I move to the next door, the next phone call, the next meeting, whatever the case is. And so we've got to basically take them on an emotional journey from, zero percent interest to a hundred percent interest and then make sure we close them when we do that again still information based but in the process we're taking them through that journey and then now uh with nlp on the rise we have these other tools to basically disarm them a little bit you know one of the ones i just learned was from uh michael burnoff i don't know if you've heard of him uh but he's also a, a nlp influencer expert written a bunch of books on it and uh, we've been using this like crazy and I've actually been using it in some of my sales training too. So I want to make sure I give him credit, but definitely going to keep using it. And so, you know, the, the way that he described it to us is if you're telling your, your son or your daughter, Hey, I'm proud of you. That's great. We should absolutely be doing that. But he said, what you should tell them is, Hey, you should be proud of yourself. Mm. So it creates uh, an, an it puts them in a, uh, a mode of empowerment, right? Or a feeling of empowerment. Oh, I really like and, that. And who, who do you want to be empowered in the sales process? The customer, right? right? And so the way he phrased it, and I may butcher this a little bit, I've got it written down, but, you know, uh, I want to in advance commend you for sitting down with me today. Most homeowners don't take the time to invest in their homes and make them look nice. So uh, you should be proud of yourself for even setting this appointment. Yeah, love and so it, it gives them that in empowerment and uh, they're ready to make decisions now. And if you look at buying styles, it really helps the, the counselor buying style because they always they always go through that analysis paralysis, the, the detective a little bit too. like, hey, we're going to make a decision today. And that's like in the intro of the sales appointment in home appointment, whatever the case is. So we've been uh, we've been testing it out and it's been working really well. Nice. Okay, so one of the, the things that you talk about a lot are three habits 
what are three habits that salespeople can start practicing yeah. now to improve their negotiation skills? It's, I mean, it's going to sound, it's going to sound obvious, but it's, I find that the most obvious things that are overlooked and I'm, I'm a big fan of um, old school John Wooden quotes and following sort of the process that he had when he he was coaching his athletes was focus on the fundamentals. And so these are the fundamentals that I want everyone to build into their daily habits. Number one, plan and prepare for your negotiations and role play those negotiations before you get into the conversation. Absolutely critical to everything that you're doing. Once you've had the conversation, debrief that that conversation that you've had that negotiation that you've had by answering these three questions what did we do right what did we do wrong what do we need to do better next time that in and of itself that second step that second habit is going to completely revolutionize the way that you negotiate on an ongoing basis the major reason people don't get better from their negotiations is that they don't learn from their mistakes and they don't learn what they're doing well to double down on those things. So just by answering those questions, you're going to completely change the way. And number three, get great coaching. This is so critical to what you're going to do. You you wouldn't if you really if you wanted to get a six pack and compete in the Mr. Olympia or a figure contest or something like that, you would not hesitate to get a trainer. It wouldn't even be a question. And so many salespeople and commercial negotiators in general want to be in the upper echelon of what it is they do and then don't get a trainer, which is bananas to me. If you think of it that way, if you don't get that coach, you're probably not going to scale your improvement as fast as you want to the level that you want. So get a good trainer. So I'm going to repeat those habits. This is very, very important. Plan and prepare and role play. Debrief your negotiation by saying, what do we do well? What do we not do well? What do we need to do better next time? And get a good trainer. And by the way, I don't care who it is. It could be me. It could be you. It could be anyone. Just get someone. Get someone with a proven background who can help you through difficult negotiations, difficult sales, those kinds of things. Because if you don't do that, it's going to be chaos and you're not going to be able to scale your expertise to the level that you want. And you bring up a really good point there too, is just investing in training, investing in education in general, right? Yeah. I didn't realize how much I needed education until I joined a mastermind called Apex two years ago. And once I joined that mastermind, I had all these other business owners around me that were very good at what they do. And then it, they were able just in, in a one-on-one -on -one conversation to teach me something. And I was able to take it home and immediately apply it. And then as a result, make more money in my business or make my business easier to operate, whatever the case was, it just kind of opened up my eyes to that. And then, you know, I found my people in general and we're human, you know, we want to be a part of something. Right. <laughs> and I had always kind of felt like, unfortunately the smartest person in the room everywhere that I went until I went in these rooms. And I was like, Oh, I am the dumbest person in this room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's good. There's, there's, yeah. there's a great like evolutionary process to that, to be like, Oh, I got to grow. Right. Yeah. Like if I wanted to get to that next level, I got to grow. And I think what you said is really, really important uh, for the folks that are listening. If you think, okay, I could, I should probably hire a trainer. I should probably hire a coach. I should probably hire right. someone to help me with this process. Ask that coach if they also get coaching. 
that's really telling to me because if they don't you probably shouldn't hire that person a hundred percent i could agree more yeah i uh i would not have had the confidence going into this if i didn't have a coach if i you know and what's crazy is and just just to provide some context here of like yes you want somebody that's an expert in your field but you don't necessarily need that right uh my first coach he owned a gym he was a personal trainer right but he was networked very well within uh apex and you know at first when i started coaching with him i was like what is this guy gonna you know what i mean like i've done five you know of course your ego gets to you i've done five million in business he has one location he's a trainer like our our businesses don't even mix you know what i mean but just sitting down with someone and having to explain to them your decision making and being accountable to that decision-making yes. and then having them say, well, why didn't you just do this? Or why didn't you, you know, that different perspective yeah. can be it's, massive. And I never had that in my life before. And it, I didn't have any very powerful process. Yeah. The same is true for me, man. When, like when I was really struggling to scale negotiations, Ninja, I went and mm -hmm. hired a coach and I said, Hey man, what do I need to be able to do here? The first conversation that we had was great product, great presentation, love the look, triple your prices. And I was like, whoa, whoa, man, I can't do that. You know how many customers I'll lose if I do that? That's insane. It's bananas. Mm -hmm. He's like, all right, I'm not your guy. I'm like, okay, don't go. Hang on. So you hang on, hang on. He did the <laughs> yeah. takeaway. He did the right. takeaway on you. Yeah. And so and and in that process, I've been able to massively now look, I pay him an obscene amount of money to coach me mm -hmm. on on a regular basis, right? We meet twice a week, or sorry, every, once every two weeks. Right. And it's it feels like a lot of money when you pay it. But then when you look at the ROI that you're getting as a result of that independent coaching, it's I look at, there's no way I would have been able to scale to the level that we've scaled without it. 100%, 100%. And so um, when you look at your business as a whole, I, you know, I'm sure you get this question a lot. What, what is a good customer for you in your business? My customer is generally a large B2B sales team or a large right. B2B procurement team or leadership within those organizations because we train people how to negotiate and how to resolve conflict primarily. We do mm -hmm. also have persuasion-based stuff as well, but large teams is where we're at. And so we, we come into um, organizations generally that have over 15 people in sales positions so that we can coach those sales teams. So that's, that's usually... Um, the group that we reach out to, we do have some open enrollment classes that anyone can join, but those only happen once a quarter. Oh, okay. And and what are those, the open enrollment classes? So it's listed right on our website. Find the course that you want, go register for that course, nice. and then we host it virtually on Zoom. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So where do you see kind of your business going from, from here? I mean, are you going to get more into the, I, you know, I noticed you did some speaking. You're obviously getting on a lot of podcasts, promoting the business and everything. Uh, where are things going for you as an individual and then your business as a whole? Uh, I'm releasing a book in the fall. Oh, so whenever this uh, podcast comes out, ho hopefully we can find a way to be able to do that. The It's, it's going to really 
I think change the way that people think about negotiation in the B2B world. Um, And that's for me personally, anyone in and around the coaching and training space should probably be thinking about releasing a book at some point in time, Mm -hmm. it's the lever point to the next level. Um, And the other thing that we're doing is we're, we scale primarily through adding coaches, right? So we want to add more trainers and add more coaches. I've really tended to try and stay away from the on-demand negotiation training because I think the value comes in the conversation like we're having right now. Like, how would you apply this to this situation? Or what about mm-hmm. that situation? Yeah. And I think for a lot of online negotiation courses, that, that's lost. So yeah. we try our best to make it as in-person as we can, which is usually over Zoom or Teams. You know, that makes a ton of sense because when I think about, you know, and I had thought about that, it's like I have a, you know, $25,000 price point for helping someone build out their sales team, right? And I want to create a course around that a little bit. And I was like, man, I'm just kind of like giving them a, a lower tier option. And I am in a sense, but that's more, that's more to do with the documents that go with building right. a sales team. So they get those documents, they, they get trained on how to use them. But like you said, the magic is in the conversation and the critical thinking in that moment where they're making decisions. All right. Am I raising commissions here? Am I lowering commissions? What uh, incentive plans am I putting in place? How am I structuring my training after this? Or all of those things is really what they're paying for when they hire me as a consultant. So I couldn't agree more that the magic really happens in conversations like this. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the questions that I like to ask my guests and we typically end with this is, you know, what does legacy mean to you and what legacy do you want to leave behind? Man, this is such a deep question. Um, legacy for me personally, uh, my biggest nightmare, my biggest fear is someone coming to my funeral one day saying Mark had potential. Oh. I think that would absolutely crush me if I if I could view that from wherever I end up down. Mm-hmm. If I hear someone say those words, I would break down. And so that that fear really motivates me to try and do something as best I can mm-hmm. to fulfill that potential. Legacy for what I leave behind, hopefully I leave and my kids think of me as a good dad. I think that's the biggest legacy that I think I could leave. I think beyond three generations, if I'm remembered at all, that would be great. Don't get me wrong, right? Like most people are forgotten. If I could be remembered at all, that would be wonderful. But I never, ever want to hear the words, Mark had potential. I would would break down. Yeah, I, I love that. That's great perspective, too, because if you think about it, there's always someone that could say that. There's, you know, it's like everything else. There's always someone that's got more money. There's always someone that's smarter. You know what I mean? And so it's like, all right, yeah, I gave it everything I had, but maybe I was in a room one day and I don't know, Ed Milet was in the room or Tony Robbins was in the room, right? <laughs> and and he's like, oh, he, he went too soon. He had so much potential. You know, maybe right. it's in that perspective, but you're always learning and you're always trying to do more because there may be somebody out there that could say that, you know what I'm saying? It's my, it's my biggest fear, man. I never, ever want to leave having unfulfilled potential. And I I think we all will, but it's just, it's very scary for me. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. And and it's very scary in, in the most fat or I guess most impactful way, which is with your kids. And that's, I think that's why that's such a great 
legacy to leave behind is that you were a good dad. Um, you know, for me personally, it kind of hit me in the feels right away because I didn't have that, you know what I mean? So it's like, I have this big fear of doing that to my kids someday and not being the best dad I can be. So I, I love that that's part of your legacy too. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's important to me. Mark, I appreciate you coming on the show, brother. You've given us a lot of tactical tools that we can use in negotiating and thereby in sales. So I just want to thank you for giving us the honor of coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. And we will include all of uh, Mark's links in the podcast notes so you guys can reach out to him. And then, you know, we have a lot of listeners around the software space right now. So that may be a really good potential for you to reach out to Mark and scale your business that way as well. All right, guys, let's get building. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. Be sure to execute on what you just heard and let's get building. As always, remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts. You can also head on over to buildinggreatsalesteams.com and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast. See you next time.